Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. We're going to give you a few reports from OIS Retina, which happened in Vancouver on July 20th. First up, we're going to talk with our uh, OIS contributing editor, Rich Kirkner, the fellow who puts together OIS Weekly for you each and every week. Rich uh, was able to sit through the the many great presentations of the day. We had uh, close to 250 people in attendance. Great, great program put together by our co-chairs. And Rich is going to give us uh, a highlight, uh, some takeaways that he uh, he got from uh, from the day. So some interesting stuff. Uh, great observation from Andrew Gitkin of Piper Jaffrey. And uh, some interesting work with zebrafish. So I, I'm sure you'll enjoy Rich's update. Before I let you go, though, I wanted to remind you that OISX is happening on October 24th, 2018. It's going to be our gala to celebrate 10 years of innovation. This is your opportunity to nominate your peers, to receive awards, and to be recognized at OISX. So you need to go to OIS.net, register to attend OIS at AAO, which is happening the next day in Chicago, and uh, you'll be able to attend OISX and uh, celebrate 10 years of innovation in ophthalmology. Again, go to OIS.net. Now let's hear from Rich Kirkner from OIS Retina. We are here at OIS Retina with Rich Kirkner, contributing editor for OIS Weekly. Rich, you have the benefit of actually sitting in the room during the conference while I'm strapped out here to this microphone and camera. So tell me, what were uh, there? Are probably too many takeaways to talk about. Like looking at Rich's actual reporter's notebook, chock full of good stuff that you'll be reading about in future OIS Weeklies. But what are two or three takeaways from the day? Well, I I actually came up with a list of five of them, and I five. I, I hope they're <laughs> succinct enough to go get through. Let's go. But uh, let's talk about takeaway number one, and this is from the Foundation Fighting Blindness Emerging Science Showcase. There's a lot of exciting early stage work going on there, but uh, a couple things stood out. So PhotoSwitch is working on a novel AAV vector that's suitable for intravitreal treatment for diabetic retinopathy and AMD. Then Thomas Ray at the University of Washington, he has his own lab there, working on retinal regeneration to basically replicate in mammals what what fish and birds do when their retinas get damaged they just regenerate mammals can't do that so they're trying to they they took a a vector out of zebrafish and implanted it into mice to see if they can replicate that retinal regeneration not degeneration (laughs) but regeneration in mammals. Yeah, we, so, we, we had a talk with him, uh, 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 Bernice Magistretti interviewed him, and, and that was a point he made, and he said, if, if we're successful, we're going to put all of you out of business, basically. So that, yes, <laughs> so that, that, that sounds exciting. So um, Thomas, doc, Tom, Dr. Thomas Chula at Spark, he talked about the challenge that they're having with payers mm-hmm. in getting coverage for uh, gene treatments, gene therapies. And one point he made was that payers base their cost effectiveness 
uh, assessment on treatments, on chronic treatments, such as intravitreal anti-VEGF injections. They're done monthly or every other month or whatever. And they do the injection, the payer pays, the deal's done until the next injection comes Mm -hmm. along. But with Sparks Luxterna and potentially other gene therapies, it's a one-time treatment for a cure. And payers don't know how to deal with that. So he, he made the point that new models are emerging that involve rebates and sort of installment payments on, um, on these treatments to ensure the uh, access of these treatments to patients who need them, but also that the payment is made, that the outcome is delivered, and, and then the payment is made upon the outcome instead of getting the therapy getting the payment and waiting for the outcome. Yeah. So it's, that makes sense on a, a lot of fronts, and I could understand not wanting to be the insurance company that pays for that one-time treatment and then the patient leaves and goes on to another right. plan sometimes. So. Right. Well, and that's, that's one of the, yeah. the problems yeah. with, our, with our, mobile, our mobile society. Very true. Uh, I thought Andrew Gickin at Piper Jaffrey made a real interesting point when he talked about the public public financing market is that 58% of the uh, ophthalmology market cap expects meaningful events over the next year, Wow, which uh, is is significant. And I I did a count. 11 companies alone are in line for NDA or approval over the next year. OIS index is hopefully going to pop. I think so. I think so. He didn't. Uh, he didn't mention that specifically, but it, but it looks like there's a lot that's that's going to happen over the next twelve months. Yeah. So, um, in the um, well, in talking about intravitreal treatment for anti-VEGF, Daniel White at Clearside Biomedical, um, which is not an intravitreal treatment; it's a suprachoroidal. Um, treatment talked about the the 65 the population age 65 plus is to double by 2035 wow. and doctors are already stressed out trying to keep up with injections for amd and dme in all that population so and so the patient volume is only going to grow so the system needs to make progress in drug delivery just to and in, in so many other aspects in diagnosis and and uh, tracking of treatments, just to keep up with the population growth. So, um, so but I, I thought that was interesting. Another interesting number for sure. Sixty-five plus population to double by twenty thirty-five. Wow. And the, then there were a, a number of clinicians on the drug delivery panel. I thought they provided some really good advice for OISers on um, approvable outcomes. And, that, and Peter Kaiser made the point, fewer injections and OCT, uh, optical coherence tomography results themselves, are not approvable outcomes for the FDA. Huh. Vision is. So um, Charlie Wyckoff, Dr. Charlie Wyckoff, also made the point that superiority not non-inferiority 
is becoming more desirable for doctors. Um, so I, I thought that's that's really good. They they don't want to see more Me Too products. They want to see improvements. They they'd like to see considerable improvements in new products. Usually, what you get are incremental improvements, right. but over time, through enough new products, you get substantial improvement built upon a number of different incremental improvements. So, but uh, but I I thought they really emphasized the point: approvable outcome is vision improvement. They drove that home to the audience. So there, there are the five, th- five things. Those, those are great. I mean, a, a lot of them would, I think the demographic ones are particularly fascinating. The, the, well, the age, the, the people aging and growing older and needing more care we know about. But the number of companies uh, that are uh, on path to some kind of uh, milestone event is, is really, that, that probably took a lot of digging, and it's a really useful I'm, fact. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's, so it, it's going to be really exciting what happens over the next 12 months Excellent. in the space. Oh, so, and there's, there's a lot I didn't touch on. So. <laughs> so there's stay, much, much more. Stay tuned to OIS Weekly. <laughs> thanks very much, Rich. All right, thank you, Tom. All right, thanks, Rich Kirkner, for that report. Next up, I'm going to speak with Greg Grumberg. He's a managing director at Longitude Capital. Uh, Greg appeared on our investor panel, uh, but is, a, is an active investor in ophthalmology and uh, walked away with some uh, some key points from the day. So let's uh, hear from Greg Grumberg of Longitude Capital. So Greg Grumberg, you joined us for OIS Retina today. I'm curious from your perspective as an investor, what, uh, what what's caught your eye in the program today? Well, I think first of all, early in the day, we looked at a lot of the gene therapies and novel science around orphan retinal diseases, uh, of course, with Spark and other technologies. We've really had a resurgence of interest in the possibility of curing blindness. Uh, Interestingly enough, there are a number of medical device solutions that are also offering AI and other forms of intelligence to optimize vision in uh, very low vision or near-blind patients. So I I can imagine a real Uh, effort to have big impacts on blindness and near-blindness diseases. We saw a great panel, which I was fortunate to participate in. Maybe that's why I called it great. (laughs) It was great. And uh, on the drug delivery side and some real great companies moving the needle forward there with the potential for more than six-month delivery, resorbable opportunities, next-generation injectable uh, approaches with different mechanisms of action. And so even as we see Uh, that we haven't had a superior drug for back-of-the-eye disease for AMD, DME, I think we can still move the needle from an economic and patient perspective. And I watched that great panel, and it was truly great and objective observer. Uh, You mentioned that you're an an internal uh, internal medical doctor, but you have grown to love ophthalmology, and you've gotten past the ickiness of dealing with the eye. But then in that same response, or at least slightly later, you mentioned how complicated it is, where you can look at imaging on one, on one drug and look at it at a different time, and it can be difficult to sort of discern what's the success. Why, what caught your eye about ophthalmology, and how do you address the challenges that you spoke, up, uh, spoke of up on the panel? Well, I think, first of all, this is an incredibly innovative community, and as an investor in venture capital, we thrive where innovation is embraced and adopted. So if you look at the last decade or more, there have been incredible breakthroughs and generations of moving the ball forward in glaucoma and cataract and back of the eye. 
And despite that, there's still huge unmet needs and opportunities. So, of course, the better the existing therapies, the higher the bar for the next generation of therapies, and that's where the complexity lies. And uh, we do have our work cut out for us to try to discern as investors, how to generate returns for our limited uh, partners who are many pension funds, et cetera. So we do have to really be careful about the risk-reward analysis, and and I think it swings to two extremes. One, have a real big impact, or two, find things that are likely to work, and we try to uh, find the balance across those two dimensions. Excellent. Any any great takeaways from the day that uh, you'll be taking back to the offices at Longitude? Well, uh, frankly, I've got my little secret cheat sheet and uh and and i'll be writing a little summary for my partners and hopefully we'll have a few very selective follow-ups that uh will help develop our plan going forward all right great well hopefully no uh, russian hackers will will find your cheat sheet and uh, make it available to wikileaks then it might appear on ois press thanks for joining us thank you so much really appreciate it great day thanks greg for those insights Next, I'd like to share my interview with Dr. Varas Rahal. Uh, Dr. Rahal is a senior partner at the Retinovitreous Associates Medical Group in Los Angeles. He's also associate clinical professor of ophthalmology at the UCLA Geffen School of Medicine. But he is also, because he's not busy enough, he's a partner at Exide Ventures, which is a venture capital firm that's uh, led by ophthalmology surgeons to invest in early stage companies. So I thought uh, Varas brought a unique perspective uh, from his observations at OIS Retina. So let's hear what he had to say. So I'm here with Varas Rahal from Exide Ventures. I'm dubbing you the mayor of OIS because I think you've, you've kissed every baby. You shook every hand. Uh, how are things going for you today? Are you enjoying your day today? Wonderful. Actually, it's going great. As you just said, uh, some of it has been socially wonderful because I'm running into friends, I'm talking to people, but actually professionally it's been incredible because the the outpouring of innovators and colleagues that are doing what, uh, what my group is doing, like Dr. Weiss, uh, has been wonderful and the collegiality has been amazing. You, I, I fully expect the collegiality, but when you see it in this kind of friendly environment, it's really meaningful. So, yeah, I'm having a great time. Uh, we could help you get out of your introverted shell. Yeah. Yeah. What about on stage? Anything uh, catching your eye? Anything you, you're taking away? Yeah, I was, uh, I was intrigued by the conversation about the drug delivery uh, from different perspectives. Uh, there were people up there who've developed drug delivery programs, and there were people up there who... Uh, are clinicians that are delivering drugs right now, like myself when I'm a clinician. And then there were people in the investment sector all on the same panel who view it from a different perspective. So we heard from the clinicians, we heard from the investors, and we heard from the innovators who used to be clinicians all on the same panel. I thought that was really good. It was very casual. So it wasn't just data. It was uh, personal opinion on where the field is and where it's going. So you're you're an investor. You're a practicing physician. What? How does this event or the OIS events kind of feed those different parts of you? Is it equal? Do you walk away with as much as a clinician as you do as an investor, or is there one more than the other? I think from this, me personally, I walk away more as an investor. But this meeting, singularly to me, is uh, the best combination of that constellation of things. Not just clinician and investor, but also a scientist and innovator. And big pharma, which is a whole other part of the equation that it, 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 that bears weight on all of the above, but has their own perspective and their own things to say, and they will. So 
for me personally, I get more out of it on the investment side, and that's the main reason I started coming to all these meetings, and I do attend most of them, uh, because I get a lot of clinician stuff, uh, not at a higher level, at a different, more sort of focused level on the, say, ASRS meeting, which will follow tomorrow, and I'll go to that. Uh, but the combination and the high level of some of uh, investment and some of the clinical and some of the innovation is better at this meeting than any other meeting, in my opinion. And just finally, we've had you on the podcast before talk about Excite. I appreciate just kind of giving us an update on what you're doing. And within that answer, I mean, I've just walked, I inter- interrupted a conversation between two physicians who are investing with firms, I mean, with raising funds from others. You, I don't know if I see that other kind of um, uh, detail or that other kind of sophistication in a positive way in other clinical specialties. I mean, maybe in cardiovascular. But what's going on here in ophthalmology? Are we going to see more physician investing groups, firms coming up? It, it may be the case. I, and I, what's going on in ophthalmology is a good question. Uh, we get asked this a lot from it, potential LPs, potential investors, like why should I invest in ophthalmology? And this may be, your observation may be part and parcel of why investing in ophthalmology is a great thing within the sector of biotech in general. Ophthalmologists, over and above the things that are talked about, which is the eye is sequestered and unique and has this incredible anatomic uniqueness that allows for testing, both clinical and preclinical testing and rapid feedback. Those are all true. But there's another feature in ophthalmology that may be part of your observation that makes ophthalmology sector a good investment is that ophthalmologists themselves on the whole, and retina doctors I think in particular, no offense to my good friend Dr. Weiss, (laughs) who's not a retina doctor but an ophthalmologist, uh, are innovative and they're they're risk takers, and I guess that would apply into investment as well, uh, but they're risk takers clinically. They're willing to adopt new treatments, new technologies, I think quicker than other specialties. And I can't speak to the other specialties, and I don't want to downgrade them, but what I've seen in ophthalmology is the degree to which ophthalmologists take on new technologies is rapid, and they're eager to do it. And I think that's what you're seeing on the investment side is that guys who've been doing that for a long time, maybe they've participated in a lot of clinical trials like myself, um, see an opportunity to get on the business side and bring their same passion to that. All right, and just uh, one or two surprising takeaways from the day. Any nuggets that have stuck with you? Nuggets that have stuck with me is that uh, it seems there's a consensus, and I won't say that it surprised me. It was affirmative for me is that the panel that spoke about, it was mostly retina physicians, maybe all retina physicians, were speaking of anti-VEGF therapy. We're always talking a lot about anti-VEGF therapy. And part of the things I've said in the past uh, to innovators and to investors is it's a really high bar to meet the quality outcomes we've seen with ILEA and Lucentis, and I thought it was very affirmative and eye-opening to see a bunch of panel experts pretty much say the same thing when trying to explain where combination therapy may or may not fit into the near or long-term future. All right, well, thanks for a few minutes for us. Thank you, Tom. Go shake some more hands. Always a pleasure, man. Going to kiss a few babies. (laughs) Thanks, Ross, for those thoughts. Now I'd like to introduce a new voice to the OIS community. Berenice Magistretti is a uh, reporter. She's been covering venture capital for firms like TechCrunch 
Now she's, uh, she's got a new mission, and she came to OIS right now to help out with, uh, with some interviews. She conducted some interviews uh, on camera and, uh, and helped me out in that regard. But she also sat through her first OIS and uh, brings an interesting perspective to, uh, to the conference. So let's, uh, let's hear from Berenice Magistretti, someone who I hope you'll be hearing from more in the future. All right, well, we're here with our newest OIS member, She's got the team member lanyard on, Berenice Magistretti. Berenice, thank you for joining us. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. So your uh, career has taken a, an interesting uh, tack. You're you, very successful venture capital reporter for, for TechCrunch and for VentureBeat. And now you're uh, undertaking a new project. Can you sort of bring our listeners up to date? Sure. So um, I moved to San Francisco two years ago from Switzerland um, as a freelance journalist, and I wrote for Wired UK and TechCrunch, and then I joined VentureBeat full-time as their VC reporter. I was with them for a year and a half, covering Silicon Valley tech, startups, innovation. Um, but throughout this period, uh, because I suffer from a retinal degeneration, it's gradually getting worse, and so it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to work as a full-time news reporter, because you have to be visually very receptive very proactive, very fast, and churn out three to four articles a day at times. And it was just, it wasn't feasible for me anymore. And so I, I arrived at a point in my life where, you know, I thought, do I really want to continue down this path or do I want to actually try to implement a positive change for me and others who are also visually impaired? Can I, I'm just curious, I want to interrupt for a second. How did the, the, the problem manifest itself? Were you, were you tired? Were you just difficulty seeing, headaches? What happens? So, I mean, basically, I was diagnosed years ago when I was uh, 18 years old because I wasn't able to drive my uh, to pass my driver's license in Switzerland. And, you know, when you have retinitis pigmentosa, which is what I have, you start to experiment, um, you know, um, uh, problems navigating at night and in places with low light in your early teens. And then that, those are the rods that are being affected. And then gradually, cones are also being affected. So, you, you know, you have blind spots in your vision. So it'll be harder to go down the stairs or reconstruct an image. Or, and these past few months, I have been experiencing new symptoms of, you know, sort of lines blurring into one another uh, as if I was cross-eyed. So it made it harder to read um, and to focus. And obviously, it, it can be very tiring because basically, as, as a visually impaired person, you have to, you know, spend twice as much energy as someone normal just to sort of function and be alert all the time and not recognizing someone. So it can really be exhausting. And so I thought, you know, that's when I... And I've, I've been, you know, seeing retinal specialists for the past 12 years all across the world in Philadelphia and San Francisco and Switzerland and Paris. And all of them kept telling me the same thing. There's no, there's no cure. There's no treatment. There's no way to prevent the degradation from getting worse. And so, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it, it, it can be hard. And, that, and that's what I thought. Okay, so basically on a scientific and medical level, there's nothing that can help me. But perhaps, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I can implement something that can help myself and others sort of live a bit more of, a, of, a, of, a, of an enjoyable social life. Because one of the harder things when you're visually impaired is little things like finding a restaurant at night that has enough light for, you know, to read the menu, to recognize the person across from you, to be able to navigate the restaurant by yourself, go to the restroom by yourself and you know, the same goes for bars and hotels. And basically, I was looking online at things like Yelp and TripAdvisor, and there's nothing sort of, there, there's no indication for, for visually impaired in, in terms of finding a spot. Um, there's, there's the only accessibility point that's addressed is wheelchair access, which obviously is very important. But when you look at the statistics, there are about 130 million people 
who are in wheelchairs in the world, and there are 285 million people who are visually impaired. So it's twice as much. And so I definitely think there's a market there. And my idea would be to sort of create this platform, you know, and make it a fun, interactive community of people who are visually impaired, you know, where you have travel tips and lifestyle tips and podcast ideas and um, and, and also maybe an e-shop selling, you know, great sunglasses that protect the retina, you know, sort of in, in, instead of like a, 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 the more depressing medical forums. So that's sort of the direction I'm heading at and... So today was very interesting for me. Yeah, well, we, we reached out to you because we, you've started a blog, and I think we became aware of your interest in the area. And it's a unique perspective to bring to an innovation event where we're talking about what might happen 10 or 15 years down the road. And I know we talked about this probably. That, the, that doesn't really, while it sounds optimistic and hopeful and is to a certain degree, to you who have to go home and deal with these issues, it doesn't present a solution today. So you sat through OIS. You... you, you conducted some interviews which will be uh, we'll be putting out there what's uh, what are some of your feelings and some of your takeaways from uh, from the day so I'd say that um, obviously I was very excited to learn that there was a you know a conference about the retina because you know sometimes you you hear about a lot of you know eye diseases being addressed and my condition is very specific in the sense that it affects my retina so I was very excited to, to hear that there would be a group of people talking about you know the advancements um, I, I'd say from uh, from the perspective of a, a reporter and an entre- entrepreneur it was a very interesting day because you know you, you've heard we heard about you know gene therapy and optogenetics and uh, retinal implants and so it's 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 very exciting what's going on but then when you take a step back and you've lived through the past decade as a patient and, you know, there's literally been no improvement because there's still no cure, you know, you, you, you look at it from a very different angle and a bit more skeptical, you know, when everyone gets excited about these things because you need to take into account heavy funding and clinical trials and FDA approvals. And then even when there is FDA approval, you need to find the right delivery the right injection point in the eye it needs to stick and it's the, the body you know has has to accept it and not reject it so you know there are a lot of hurdles that need to be taken into account so I'm very I'm optimistically cautious if that's a word and um, and I, I think that uh, you know obviously excited that a lot of people are working on the retina but you know still try to be realistic in the sense that it might take another decade for there to be a cure for for my condition so, where how are you moving forward with your uh, your company? Uh, are you do you have a name? Are you looking for co-founders? What's sort of your your next step? So yeah, I'm I'm at the very very beginning, more in the ideation phase, brainstorm networking. I'm very lucky to have established a, a great network in San Francisco of investors and founders and accelerator programs. So I'm sort of leveraging it now and talking to people about it who are you know are excited to hear about it and collaborate and help in any way they can. Um, so right now I am looking for a, a technical co-founder because um, my forte is not engineering or coding and it's too heavy for the eyes anyway. So I would need someone to sort of be in front of the screen all the time. Um, I, and so, you know, in terms of my role would be more, I think, on, a, on an executive level and, you know, having the condition, being able to sort of, you know, um, relate to the daily pain points of people who are visually impaired and, you know, establishing also network um 
with with foundations and and communities. And so today was actually great because I, I also met with the COO of Foundation Fighting Blindness. You know, so being able to establish a rapport with these identities that you know have a database of people who are visually impaired that I could connect to at some point and talk about my project is is very useful. So. Right now, it's 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 you know being uh, it's it's in the ideation phase, but hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have a, an MVP and a co-founder. <laughs> How do you feel about your condition, which you've been you've recognized and known about for over a decade, sort of guiding your career at this point? Does it feel hopeful? Um. You mean like is it, is it difficult having my condition to sort of envision a career or? I mean, having your sort of dedicating your life to this this thing you've recognized about yourself for for so long. What is it like shifting your life to sort of accommodate that that way that that, that condition that you have? Sure, that's a great question, and I think that it's only up until very recently that I've really sort of accepted the condition and incorporated it and and taken it. You know, it's a, and in the sense, not that it defines me, but it is part of me. So I need to adapt my life sort of around it and and that's where the, there was sort of this tipping point two three months ago where I was like I really can't keep on living that way and it was it was heartbreaking because I love being a tech reporter I, I love writing and so it is difficult to, to, to sort of come to the realization that um, you know your your passion is is being slowed down significantly because of a disability and um, and so uh, you know it is difficult but then again it's 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 very exciting to sort of think and feel that I can turn this into you know an ability and a possibility and and become entrepreneurial and creative and that's that's something that I've always been so it's also very exciting to embark on a new chapter in my life where I you know I'll still be writing and um, but hopefully just change the the social dynamics of people uh, who who like me are visually impaired. Well, it was, uh, it was uh, great to have you here, number one, just to help do the interviews. It's nice to have someone else take that on. But number two, I do appreciate your giving us a, a different uh, take on what, uh, what's trying to happen here. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks, Bernie Magistrati, for helping out at OAS Retina. Thanks, everyone else who uh, took some time away from the day to share their thoughts. And thank you, podcast listeners, for joining us. Please do tell your friends about the podcast. And, of course, uh, reach out to me. I'm at MedTechTom on Twitter. You can email me, Tom, at HealthAG.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. HealthAG is the producer of the OIS podcast and, of course, the OIS events. Speaking of which, you need to register for OIS at AAO. It's happening on October 25th in Chicago. And when you register, you will be able to attend the OIS X Dinner Gala. We are uh, honoring 10 years of innovation, and uh, this is your opportunity to uh, to let us know who you think who you think deserves recognition at our OISs. We always give out uh, uh, terrific awards at our, our events. Uh, I know they're uh, the folks who have received them have uh, appreciated them, and I hope you as as well as an attendee. This is your chance to vote. Please do go to ois.net. Click the OIS box and you'll uh, have a whole uh, list of award categories where you can uh, identify those folks that you think we should be honoring at the OIS X Dinner Gala. The deadline for these um, submissions is August 22nd. So uh, please do go to OIS.net, register for OIS at AAO, and uh, nominate your peers for an award. That's it. Tune in next week for another great tale of innovation on the OIS podcast.